Right, so if you haven't figured it out that uh, I'm trying to convince you that Samson is a more upright person than he has a reputation for. Right? It's a, I know it's a minority view, but it's, I think it lines up with Hebrews 11. That he is a man of whom the world is not worthy. Uh, that he is an imperfect model uh, of what Jesus would later do. There's, there's a ton of parallels. And some people have asked me, you know, where I'm not smart enough to come up with things on my own. That's why I went to seminary, <laughs> to learn from the saints of old and, and people who spend their careers helping support the church. Right? That's what seminary is for. And so one of the resources I've used that helped me think through how to read the judges is uh, a guy named Miles Van Pelt. This is, it's just a Bible study. So it's got questions and little, little notes on how to th- connect the judges to Jesus. Um, Miles was my Hebrew professor. He was also the pastor that baptized our son, Jonah, when we were in Mississippi. Um, he has a, a deep desire to see the gospel in the Old Testament and the New, and has helped me immensely with that. I'm, and there's, I put resources in the bulletin. When you, if you are convinced uh, that, that the judges are better than, than the reputation they get, that they're deliverer types, better, different Moses types, who then are like Jesus types, when you read the commentaries and they start complaining about immorality, it's going to drive you nuts. But there are, are other good commentaries that are pastoral. They're after your heart. So I listed a couple of those. Dale, Dale Ralph Davis, uh, Such a Great Salvation, and, and Timothy Keller is always get helpful as well. So if you're wondering where I come up with this stuff, it, it's, it's, it's a reading the scriptures and also consulting other men who spend longer wrestling with this and looking at church history and trying to figure out how... How does this, what is the scripture saying? What is God communicating? Um, the reason to do all this, right, when you're in Judges, we're entering in like the, the I would call it like the, the least known part, wilderness parts of the scriptures. <laughs> People just don't wander into Judges 16 through, through the end of the book. And nobody wants to stay there. But the purpose is to see how the Old Testament and New Testament is connected. That's why we're doing this. It's so you can see that God was preparing for Jesus in the beginning. Uh, even when it was really bad, he was still faithfully loving his people so that Jesus could later come and change us. Our Westminster Confession of Faith describes the Bible as a majestic, it says it has a majesty of style and it is a unified story. And that's, that's what we're walking into when we look at Judges. So let's look at Samson. It's a good reminder that as we come to the Judges, they are, they are savior types. So they are pictures of Jesus, which means we don't read ourselves into their story. We, we read ourselves into the people of God who are the rescued, uh, those who are being delivered. And so let's, let's read Samson. I'm going to start in uh, 1419. This is the word of our God. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And Samson went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. After some days at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. 
And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. And then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And he came to uh, Lehi. The, The Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand, and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramathlehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called Ain Hakore. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed, spoken to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you tell us your word is sweeter than honey. Uh, It is perfect. It revives and renews and refreshes our souls. But you also show us what we're like, uh, sinners. So I pray that the good news of Jesus today as we hear your word would make us wise, would bring healing to our hearts, and make us, also make us aware of the ways we harm others. Uh, so, so Holy Spirit, come, have your way among us, give us the joy of the gospel, enlighten our eyes to cause us to love Jesus, our Savior, our judge, more, so that we might in turn respond to love what he loves and hate what he hates. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is just a good place to review the life of Samson so far. Because as I'm arguing, yes, he suffers from a reputation problem. He needs a new PR guy. 
because uh, the, the idea is he's the Nazarite and he's devoted from the womb to the tomb, from his birth to his death, to serve the Lord, to begin to save God's people from the Philistines. And the normal description is that he broke all of his vows. Uh, he's immature, he's angry, he, he lives by the, what, what he sees, he's full of various lusts, uh, that there's nothing spiritually redeeming about him, but God uses him anyway. Praise be to Christ. And I want to argue that he, he's like Jesus and that he was devoted. He didn't break those vows. It's just that he did, all of his work was done alone and no one rose up. He did, all of his work didn't change the in, inward hearts of God's people. All right, because last week we saw Samson was raised. He was blessed by God. He was sent by the Spirit to love a woman who would betray him. Uh, that Samson, like God, loves a bride who, does, who responds with unfaithfulness. So Samson had to go through that experience of having his heart broken to know what it's like to serve the Lord. Uh, the marriage was God's plan. He would feel the pain of what it's like to love God's people who cheat again and again, who walk away again and again. And so Samson's like the prophets. Uh, he's, he's those who've had to physically be a parable to show God's people their sin and their salvation. Think of Hosea loving Gomer, uh, the, the prophet who was called to love an unfaithful woman. Samson's a forerunner of that. Uh, you remember, Samson threw a wedding feast. We don't read about any alcohol touching his lips. If he did, his strength would have been taken. Um, we see Samson tearing apart a lion like one tears a young goat. Like I said, it's a weird hobby to tear young goats, but it's a picture that God can protect his people no matter what comes across them and attacks them. And he didn't break his vow because he's commanded not to touch dead human bodies, right? not animal bodies. The moment he breaks his vow, the moment someone else breaks the vow for him, he becomes as weak and ordinary as you or I. That's the point. And today, when you get to the jawbone of the donkey, keep that in mind. Just because he touches an animal, he's not offending God here. The idea is Samson is the most spiritual judge in the book. Four times the Spirit comes on him to do what he can't do on his own. He looks like an ordinary guy. The Spirit comes upon him. The problem is no one responds, and that's what we see in our text today, right? Because today we've got to look at his anger. Samson gets angry. He goes to war. He does things that we do not encourage our children to do, which is to respond with violence when someone is violent against you. And so we've got to ask, how is this anger a, a good thing in the context of the world in which Samson lives? And then what can we learn from it? You know, it's a good question. How does anger fit into the command from Jesus to love your enemies? Right. And it doesn't sound Jesus-like, but he's going to teach us that, that there is a place for good anger. And it, ultimately, it's going to turn into good news for people like us. So... Let's look at it. How is Samson good and angry? Why is he, why is he furious? And I think this is, this is really important to see because it's kind of like you're standing at the top of a hill and you're about to push a boulder down and it's going to cause an avalanche. Right? There's going to be an avalanche of, of just attack and response, attack and response. But it all starts, Samson made a bet. Uh, his enemies cheated and threatened his wife with fire. They plowed with his heifer. That's the phrase that was used. Um, it's a violent, disturbing image. I'll just leave it there. Um, and then his wife was given to his best man. 
Right? You're supposed to feel the rage. You should feel angry. Uh, to feel the injustice that not only did his wife betray him for the people who would then betray her, she was given to another man during what should have been their honeymoon. Right? It's awful. Right? And if you can't feel it, look what happened. That's what we read in the beginning. Samson ang- Samson's anger cools off. Right? It's not a good way to start a marriage when you're just f- furious and angry and, and what he did down in Ashkelon. But he comes feeling all romantic uh, to come woo his wife. Comes bearing gifts, right? Not chocolates. Right, guys, we've been doing it wrong. We've got to bring young goats. <laughs> to feast, celebrate their love. And the father says, hold up, hold up. She's been given to another man. You can't have her. I know Samson is often accused of overreacting, but this is what the father of the Philistine wife did is is evil and wrong in pretty much every culture all across the globe. Uh, We have ancient law texts like the Code of Hammurabi. You remember that from school. Uh, None of us read it for fun. But there's one paragraph that says, if a man pays for his bride, the bride price in the ancient culture, and then the best man starts to work problems into the marriage and start to slander and say, you know, it's probably not the best match for your daughter. Right? The only person in all of the world that you are not allowed to marry is the best man. That, that's what it says. Right? So if, if the best man convinces the father-in-law, the groom's not a good guy, give her to someone else, um, it says specifically, do not give her to the best man. The wife shall not be married to the friend. And there are other places where it says that in, in other cultures in Israel's day. And so pretty much it, right? Everybody knows that's not cool. <laughs> this is injustice. This is something that causes you and I to, to get our, bo- our blood pressure up. I mean, John the Baptist knew it. You see it in the New Testament. People come to him and people are starting to follow Jesus instead of John the Baptist. And that's the image John the Baptist uses is he says, I'm the best man, I'm not the groom. I'm here to deliver all these people to the groom so that we might rejoice together. I rejoice to hear Jesus' voice. So the idea is that what the father did was was about as wrong as it gets. I mean, how would you feel if someone came and took your spouse on your wedding day, gave them to someone else, and then told, well, don't be angry. (laughs) Just calm down. You defend your spouse, <laughs> right? You go all Liam Neeson from Taken and, and all these films, right, where you, you go on the warpath to defend those, defend your, the weak from the, the oppressor. Right? That's how God describes himself. I am the Lord who defends the weak, the needy, the oppressor. I go after those who abuse, uh, who, who misuse power. And there's all kinds of modern examples. There's a horrible one in New York City where a young lady was walking by herself after dark and she was mugged and, and her cries for help got the attention of at least 38 people, according to the New York Times. And nobody came to the rescue to the point where the mugger was able to come back and finish what he started. And, and the whole country was horrified because that was evil to do nothing. And so the idea is, <laughs> Samson's rising up against, in anger against injustice, and that's going to be the pattern throughout this whole chapter, that every time Samson responds to an injustice with justice, 
the Philistines respond with something worse. I know we tend to think that anger is an immature emotion, and it can be. (laughs) I've gotten immaturely angry, but Jesus got angry, and he was the perfect human. So we've got to wrestle with this. Because there's a really big difference between being anger against something that is wrong, that harms someone else, and a temper tantrum of a child who's just not getting what they want. Or, you know, people like me, grown man-childs. Right? When, when I don't get what I want, I get angry. See, anger is good when it's against what is morally wrong. And then used righteously. <laughs> That's the key. Because you can, get, you can get mad at something good and then go too far. It's like a flame. It, it's good in the fireplace, but if it escapes, it can cause all kinds of damage. Because right? anger in its simplest form, as we're seeing in Samson, that's all it is, is I am against that, and you move towards it to right what is wrong. Uh, Counselor David Pallison would say, anger is the fighting emotion. It's the justice emotion. Anger is the deliver from oppressed evil, deliver the oppressed from evil motion, emotion. It stems from your love for the needy, from people who can't defend themselves. And every human being is wired this way because we're made in the image of God. You can override it, you can corrupt it, You can use anger and justice for your own selfish purposes, but we all have this desire, this innate understanding that there are things that are wrong that we should rise up against. Of course, you can use anger and justice in in unhelpful ways, right? You can accuse a bully of being wrong, and they get angry at you, and they start bullying you again. (laughs) So all this is trying to get you to wrestle with this idea of, of Samson, is God's deliverer, appointed to rescue Israel from a bully, from the Philistines. And he's responding to real injustice. He's getting angry, and he's going to react against it. Which then begs the question, what makes you angry, and what do you act against? What do you fight for with your emotions? Is it God's justice and God's will be done? Or is it because the world's not obeying your demand and that, you know, that, that red light is not turning green fast enough? Because, <laughs> you know, I've never been there. You know, do you get mad because someone else is harmed or because people just aren't doing what you want? See, the tragedy in Israel in, God, in this day is they are completely complacent. They have allied themselves with God's enemies. And so they love what God hates and hate what God's love. And Samson's trying to, part of the rescue process is to show them that reality, that they have rejected the God who loves them. And they've chosen the wrong team. They're acting like God's enemies. Sin doesn't bother them. So when you get to verse 9, and the people of Judah who started in the book as the heroes are saying, what are you doing? Don't you know the Philistines are our lords? Our masters. Israel has left and lost the plot. They are they're aligning with the Philistines. And so Samson has to wake them up. I mean, they're in that place where we all get, right? Where I'm fine. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I don't need to change. Stop fighting what you think is evil. Just leave me alone. That's where, that's where Judah's at. That they have a lack of anger. They're complacent. Um, 
that if you have a whatever works for you, just this leave me alone kind of attitude, that, that, that can be evil. When real evil is happening, if you don't rise up. To be angry against evil, this is what I'm trying to convince you of, that's, that's a form of godliness. To hate your sin, to hate your selfishness, for me to express hostility against what is evil in me and outside of me, to speak the truth in love. And that, that's really the key to understanding this whole Samson narrative, that anger is the emotional expression of love. Do you see that? You only get really angry and pursue something when you love it or them. When something I love is harmed or threatened, then I get angry and react and respond. Samson is angry because he loves his wife. God is angry through Samson because his bride, Israel, is being oppressed and bullied. And so Samson, I think, is given here a righteous anger to go to war against what God hates, which is the cruelty of the Philistines. In an age where there's no police force, uh, there's no understanding of basic human rights, justice, you know, this is an ancient world. Samson is a judge. He's going to stand up for right and wrong. And just go to, you just follow the pattern. We'll just go through the story quick. Right? Samson's cheated and betrayed with this riddle that no one could get. His wife betrays him. Samson's angry. He goes and takes the garments. And so the response to that is his wife is given to another man. Samson's response of justice is not irrational. He goes after the grain. He burns the grain. What do you use grain for? If you're a Philistine and you're a lover of alcohol and you worship the god of booze, Dagon, you go after the source. You know, when they did this gross injustice at the end of a party where they've been drinking all week. And so it seems like Samson is going, he burns the grain field to, to redress the wrong, to go after the beer, the source, the beer that would cause some of the sin. There, he's, it's an act against idolatry. Right? Of course, the hard part is it's sad if you're a fox lover. It, <laughs> um, it could be jackals, if that makes it better for you. <laughs> it's the same word. But it's just the way, it's the, just what happened. Right? Samson is going after those who sinned against him. And here's the interesting thing. The Philistines amp up the problem. They don't respond and say, Samson, you did this against us. Nor do they go after the father who did the wrong by giving away Samson's wife to another man. They burn the family. It's wrong. And so then Samson responds with violence against those Philistines. He says, now I will be innocent because of what you have done against me. And he goes to war. He... He strikes them hip and thigh, which is a way, of, it's like a, a wrestling metaphor. He wiped the mat with them. He, he took them down. He says, this is what you do. I will judge you and then stop. I'm going to judge this specific evil. He's always aiming. He has a specific cause for his anger. It's a very, this is what God does. He doesn't get irrationally angry. God says, I'm angry. Let me tell you why. See, he's an enforcer of God's justice. And then again, the Philistines, they don't come after Samson. They go after Israel, and they, they, they raid a place in Judah. Right? That's what unrighteous anger does. It doesn't address specific things. It, it lashes out and burns people around who had no idea what was going on. I mean, if I'm mad when my computer doesn't work, 
and someone comes and tells me it'll be okay, <laughs> it doesn't go well for them. Right? And I laugh, but it's, it's embarrassing. Because right? unrighteous anger just kind of jumps out of the fireplace and hurts people. And so then it's Judah, God's people, the one to, through whom the Messiah should, will come, betrays Samson and gives him over to God's enemies. You see this? And so over and over again, this is the pattern. Samson is God's Hebrew he-man of justice. He's being equipped by the Spirit to right what is wrong. And if, if that doesn't convince you of his um, violent but upright anger, look what happens after the battle. After the battle, Samson's dying of thirst and he faithfully cries out, Lord, after this great salvation, are you going to leave me to die of thirst? And God provides water from a rock so that Samson might drink and survive in a, in a weary land. The only other person that could cry out for help and have God provide water from a rock, do you know who it is? It's Moses. See, Samson's supposed to be like Moses, enforcing justice. See, the Lord is with Samson the way he was with God's people when he took them out of Egypt through the desert, protected them from their enemies, and fought for them. And now he's, he's with Samson. And then the last note is this is what Samson did. He judged Israel for 20 years. He is born to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. That's what he's doing. And so let's pause for a moment. We're going to apply this. We're going to, I want to focus on the jawbone in a moment, but this is really helpful for us. This is a counseling passage, I think. And just because I don't like anger, and I don't like it when anger is expressed at me. Nobody likes when anger comes after them. And we don't like hearing that God is angry. We're in a modern age. If there is a God, he's not going to be angry. He's going to have the attitude that uh, I'm fine. He's going to help me, bail me out when I need help. But he won't get angry with me. See, the opposite of love is not anger. It's indifference. If God did not get angry and send Samson to rescue them, if he just said, well, they made their choice, they made their bed, they can lie in it, Israel would have just disappeared. It wouldn't have been an act of love, it would have been an act of hate, just to ignore them. And I'm trying to encourage us to wrestle with this, that we need a God who is angry because a God who gets angry is a God who loves us and cares about us and cares about people and cares about our neighbors. The worst emotion that God could show here is to just shrug his shoulders and say, oh well, I'm done, peace. Right. If evil assails you, imprisons you, well, you, the Lord helps those who help themselves. I mean, imagine if the Lord said that at this point. That's not a loving thing to say. That's a God who yawns at evil. Uh, that, that doesn't defend the weak, that doesn't care about the oppressed. It's not the biblical God, and it's not a God you want to worship. All right? David Pallison again says, don't let any preconceptions you have about God's anger keeping you from stopping to look at how God's anger works. It always arises for a good reason. It's never a fit or a spasm or a bad hair day. It's never brooding hostility, just waiting to explode on some innocent, well-meaning bystander who just happened to walk into the crossfire. In the scriptures, God's anger is always, always clearly identified. The causes of that. 
So, when you see Samson, you're seeing God's fierce love that, that is not willing to let his people go. It is a jealous love. It is a, a steadfast love that endures forever, and, and it, is, it is enduring. <laughs> he, is, he is bearing a lot of pain. And when he gets angry, the anger is to wake us up. It's always designed to lead you to repentance. Right? And if you're causing harm to others, that makes God angry. That's what we're seeing in our text. Because of his love. Which means we have to evaluate our anger. Because God's anger is not an explosion of violence and wrath, yelling and screaming, being against you, but is for you. Trying to get you to turn and look at him and say, you're right, I, I caused harm, forgive me. Um, it's, it's to look at the specific reasons. See, what our anger should be aimed at, what Israel's anger should be aimed at, is the Philistines. Uh, the idolatry, the, the lack of love for the real God who made them and who has continued to pursue them. They should be angry at their own sin, and they're not. The problem with Israel and the problem with me, the problem with humans being is I can see myself in, in Judah. I'm saying, just leave me alone. Life is easier if you don't tell me I'm wrong. That's apathy. It's my laziness. It's, it's condemnation. See, Psalm 97 says, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. For the Lord preserves the lives of his saints. He will deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It's, it's calling us with our anger to love what God loves and defend what God defends. Right. To get beyond more of, oh, I'm just not getting what I want, to there is a bigger reality behind my anger. God made me. He made me to love. Not, my anger is going to be involved, but if it's just about me and my wants, it's not a righteous anger. Do you hate what God hates? That's the question. See, on the one hand, I need to be with Israel and I need uh, someone like Samson to rise up and fight for me because I'm, I don't get motivated all the time to rescue, <laughs> to, to love what God loves. I don't have that ability. I need God to get angry to defend me. But it's also terrifying because if you're hearing me correctly and you're hearing the text correctly, it's terrifying because like Israel, God's angry at wrong and I have wrong in my heart. And the good news is mixed with the bad news. God won't leave you alone, but he's not ashamed to call out wrong where wrong is. I want you to see God's anger is good news. Just go back to the Garden of Evil when Garden of Eden, not evil. <laughs> the Garden of Eden where evil entered into the world. This is the story of what's wrong with the world. And the serpent, we have no explanation, but it shows up and evil comes into the world through Adam and Eve's uh, fateful decision to choose, e to choose right and wrong based on the what looks good in their own eyes. What if God just said, eh, okay, I'm done. What did God do? He graciously started a holy war. I said, I'm not going to leave you alone until I rescue you. That's, that's the, the promise of good news in Genesis 3 that we're seeing again in Judges. Right? He promised, I'm going to send a deliverer. 
someone who will crush evil, crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will strike his heel when it steps on its head. So there's going to be a deliverer who, who is raised up to crush evil, to violent image, even as he is mortally wounded to die. It's the first good news message of saying, I'm going to take Eve's people, they're with me, <laughs> and through her I'm going to raise up a deliverer. See, Samson's part of that story, that God will not leave his people alone. He's going to send a deliverer to right everything that is wrong with this world, and to do that, he has to destroy his enemies somehow. So how does God destroy his enemies without killing us? That's the question. Right, and that's, the, that's where the jawbone of justice is going to help. I'll, I'll try and be brief. But there's, some, there's a lot of puns here. Uh, Samson's betrayed this, by the Judah. He gets turned over by, t- into the hands of God's enemies. The ropes melt. And lying on the ground uh, providentially is this fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he, these donkeys would have been five or 600 pounds. So it's not a little thing. And it's, it's a more common weapon than you would think. Bone, fresh bone, is actually stronger than steel. Right? If you're in, you're in a battle, I mean, bones stand up stronger in hip replacements. I've heard, I heard the pastor put it that way. A fresh bone, when it's strong, is strong. So this is, it seems odd, it's unconventional. It's, it is a miraculous victory with a, a surprising weapon. But what you're supposed to do with this is laugh at the Philistines' confidence and listen to Samson's pun. He's a poet. Because it says, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. The word for donkey in Hebrew and the word for heaps, piles, uh, is the same word. And so he's saying, With the jawbone of a donkey, I made piles and piles of donkeys of them. That's the joke. It's even funnier in the King James. Because right? with the jawbone of a donkey, I piled them in a mass. You can make it rhyme. And so it, it's Samson, right, using the tools available to him to enforce justice, to use anger to come against what is wrong. And you're supposed to laugh. It, it's a joke. Uh, he is mocking God's enemies. Right? That God took those who thought they were strong and God took what appeared weak to shame the strong through the jawbone of the donkey and now, who's really the butt of the joke? It's funny and convicting. If you're reading it first time and say, all right, he's, Samson is just cruelly mocking the Philistines that he's just made a pile of bodies with the jawbone of a donkey and he's calling the donkeys. The reality is, who's, who's allied with the Philistines? And this is in the scriptures. It's God's people. It's like, wait a second, God's picking on me. <laughs> you know, who is the, job, the piles of bodies what does evil cause us? What do we deserve? We deserve to let our evil make fools of us. It has made fools of me. It, it's embarrassing. And so here's the point. Right. It starts out funny and then all of a sudden it's pointed. And nobody got the joke in Samson's day. If they didn't respond and say, God's looking at me and telling me to change, that I deserve justice. Nobody responded. No one rose up to say, Samson, I'm with you. God is clearly with you. I'm going to follow you into battle. In the beginning of the book of Judges, people would rise up. They would volunteer and say, all right, God's here. We're going to do this. By the time you get to the end, there's nobody. 
So who will rise up and fight against evil and call evil what it is? Who will rise up from their own humiliation and shame, own their guilt, say, God, forgive me, and then rise up and follow the Lord's deliverer? Nobody. Nobody's willing to fight their sin to the point of shedding of blood. Samson is alone. Now, you're wondering, how is this good news? <laughs> they all sided with the wrong, and I know this is what people hate about the Old Testament. There's violence, there's bodies. What about love your enemies? Where's the, where's the hope? And here's where our, this goes. Uh, there's another place in the Old Testament where later David in Psalm 110 looks at this section and says, that's a picture of what Jesus is going to do. It, psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's, it's the psalm that Jesus says, if you want to understand who I am, read Psalm 110. This is me. And it says, The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. The Lord is at your right hand. And then in verse 5, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. And he will drink from the brook by the way. And therefore, he will lift up his head. So King David is saying, I saved Israel from the Philistines. That's what happens in the history. Samson began it. David finished it. But he says, that's not enough. Evil's still out there. We need a judge. We need someone like Samson who's going to fill the world with bodies to destroy evil in this world. Except, Jesus said, this psalm is about me. And when Jesus came, he didn't fill this world with bodies, did he? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How do you hold those two things together? Because I know that doesn't sound like gentle Jesus, meek and mild, filling the world with bodies. Except, Paul says in Ephesians 1:19 that the Lord did fill the world with his body, with bodies. See, a Bible teacher named Ed Clowney showed me this. Samson's piled up bodies in judgment, and God saved him from death by quenching his thirst, and he was exalted. But Jesus forgave his enemies. He cried out, God, I'm thirsty on the cross. And instead of God's enemies dying, it's Jesus dying and us dying with him through faith. God just let Jesus die. So Ephesians 1.19 through 22 says, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him up in the right hand in the heavenly places and now put everything under his feet. Piles of bodies. And he's filled the entire earth with Jesus' body. And this is, this is the hope. Jesus does something better than slaying his enemies because he turns his enemies into part of his church. But for you to become part of Jesus' church who have this amazing love, it's, it's, it's a, this is how Paul thought, the apostle. It is strange. That's why Peter would say Paul is hard. But to come into the church to learn to love the good and hate the evil, to love Jesus and follow him, uh, you have to be willing to die. Let Jesus kill you through conversion, to die to your own will and to say to Jesus, I need justice. I deserve to die where you died. And the moment you do that, you do physically die spiritually in him. 
You and your sins were crucified with Christ on the cross, and you now become of the, the trail of, of dead bodies that God raises from the dead to start afresh, to learn the ways of Jesus, to forgive your enemies, to love your enemies. See, the church is filled with all the bodies that Jesus has killed, all who trust by faith in Jesus, that the best way to destroy your enemies is not to cut them down. That's the Old Testament showing. It doesn't eradicate evil just to get rid of some people. The line between good and evil runs through my heart. Now, Jesus fills the world with a people who embody his love ethic, who get angry at what God hates out of love for those people <laughs> and say, come to Jesus. Let him kill you. You'll become more alive than you ever knew because you'll start to, to love the good and hate what is evil. See, Jesus is the better Samson who fills the world with the bodies of the converted and all those. See, all it takes to become a part of Jesus' body, the church, is to say, Jesus, I agree with your diagnosis of me. I deserve judgment. Have mercy. And when you do that, God raises you alive and puts you right up in the heavenly throne room right next to Jesus. And it's like your feet now are on the head of God's enemies, sin, death, and evil. That is good news. <laughs> I don't win at anything. And God says, in Christ, you are, you are up there as the head of the church. <laughs> Jesus is the head of the church, and you're right up there next to him in the heavenly places. And when you're losing, that's what you need to hear. That losing will not always be so. <laughs> Jesus is making, he's going to make his enemies his footstool. How do you apply this? And this is how we'll end. Right? We don't use jawbones to violently go and be like Samson. I'm, I'm hoping you've gotten that message. That this is not a be this is why you shouldn't be moralistic when you read the Old Testament. I mean, don't don't pick up violent weapons to go to war. No, your your job is called. The first way to respond to the gospel is to be humbled. Jesus was humiliated so that you would have to be humbled. And one of the things I love, I love how Tim Keller uses this. What do you become? What do I become? God has used the jawbone of a donkey to preach the gospel to you today. You become an instrument in the Lord's hands to do justice and to love mercy as you walk humbly with your God. Yeah. Whenever somebody says thank you, I'm just, I'm just the instrument. I'm the fool. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one who's not Jesus, yet God is graciously included to speak words of healing and change. And that is, that is, a good, that is good news. We get to heap up bodies by speaking words of, of love and truth, of being, of being honest. Right. And lastly, constructive anger. You, you're given freedom i got to say this carefully. To use anger constructively. Uh, to be constructively displeased at what hurts people and offends God. That's godly. To be able to say, that's not okay. That's a, that's a loving act if you haven't heard anything else today. That it is a loving act to tell somebody, God is not pleased with that. And it doesn't mean I'm against you. I'm against, I'm against what's actually bringing harm to you, even if it doesn't feel like harm right now. Because right? that's what happens. Israel didn't respond to Samson's deliverance. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, and all of a sudden, you feels like your whole, your whole life is now a battle. 
The spirit wages war against the flesh, and the flesh wages war against the spirit. And what Israel refused to do, we are now empowered to do, which is to go to war against what is wrong, not aimed at others, aimed at us. The gift of Jesus, it is a strange gift, is the gift of spiritual warfare, the empowerment to change, uh, to be angry at your own anger when it's sinful, to be angry and do not sin, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4.26, to be angry at what's evil, especially in me, and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need help to change. Give me the power to comprehend with all the saints, the strength to comprehend, that's a Samson word, how much God loves me, and he loved me even while I was still his enemy. So that's love and anger is the fuel of the fire of God's love in the gospel. Jesus burned with anger at everything wrong he saw in, in human life, even as he melted in compassion at the world's misery. You can't understand God's love if you don't get his anger. And when you see his anger, you run to the foot of the cross. For there, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder that if we are in Christ, justice smiles and asks no more, as we're going to sing. And yet, we also know there are things that are frustrating and we're not perfect and we have not yet arrived. And so I pray you would give us a real deep awareness of the height and depth and length and width of the love of Jesus for us, even as he does more than we can ask or imagine to go to war against what displeases you. And so remind us of the gift that we belong to you and it's because you love us that you say you need to change. And so I pray you would teach us to do that well, to speak the truth in love to one another because we, we want to see Jesus high and lifted up um, because he has lifted up us with him. That is an amazing grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.